0: The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's so good to have you here. It's Carrie here. This is episode 522, where we sit down and have a conversation with Dallas Maverick CEO, Scent Marshall. Today's episode is brought to you by Compassion. You can meet a practical need for a child in poverty this holiday season by going to compassion.com slash tree slash Carrie C-A-R-E-Y. And by Belay. For years, Belay helped me accomplish more, juggle less, and get back to growing my company with a virtual assistant. And they want to help you too. Just text my name, Carrie C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123 and get back to growing your organization with Belay. Well, Scent Marshall was recommended to me by a couple of friends, and uh, we talk about it becoming CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. How to reverse, if you read Sports Illustrated or, you know, any news organization, really, it was a big story back in 2018 about the toxic culture at the Dallas Mavericks and how she came in and how she reversed that. And then also we talk about what she's learning from Mark Cuban and what he has learned from her. Scent is the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. She's president and CEO of Marshaling Resources Consulting and the former senior vice president of human resources and chief diversity officer for AT&T. She is the first African-American woman to hold the CEO role for any NBA team and was named one of the 30 most powerful women in sports by Adweek and one of the 50 most powerful women in corporate America by Black Enterprise Magazine and one of 15 of the world's most inspiring leaders by Forbes. She is an outspoken cancer survivor. We touch on that briefly. And a regular speaker at cancer related events. She lives in the Dallas area. And man, this is a great conversation. Scent is an absolute (laughs) dynamo and we have a lot of fun. So hey, we want to thank our partners for this too. I know whatever you're doing today, whether you are riding your bike as I might be when this episode airs or whether you're in your car, whether you are cooking dinner, whether you're working out at the gym, whatever you're doing, this gets brought to you because me and my team get supported by our partners. So pay attention. These are organizations we vet and we trust and we hope you will too. And one of them is Compassion. I love Compassion. Our church has partnered with them for years and so have my wife and I, and we've seen how it helps our congregation focus on others and engage globally in tangible ways. Maybe you don't know that in all 26 countries where Compassion works, they partner exclusively with local churches to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. The local church is a hero I've seen this on the ground on multiple trips with Compassion. And as your church begins preparing for the holiday season and encouraging generosity, Compassion has a really cool opportunity called the Giving Tree. It's a simple way for your church to share the love of Jesus with children in need. All you do is you put a Christmas tree up in the lobby you or wherever, maybe in multiple lobbies, multiple locations, and you put ornaments on that represent a variety of gift options. Each gift meets a specific practical need for a child in poverty, and the whole church helps out. Check it out and sign up at Compassion.com slash GivingTree Slash carry. I'll say that one more time. Compassion.com slash giving tree slash C A R E Y. You can request a free ornament kit from their website, set it up in your church, and away you go. You're changing lives. And sometimes, as leaders, we think there is no way someone could do the job as well as we can. I've suffered from that in my young leader days. It's easy to feel you got your hands tied. You can't focus on time off. You can't focus on the important things like maybe your message. The truth is, that's not true. Uh, and I got a lot better when I started empowering my team. And with Belay, they are a great organization. I think the premier virtual assistant organization in America. And I've hired multiple team members from Belay. And they have helped me accomplish more, juggle less, and get back to doing only what I could do, which is like doing interviews like this, right? So with Belay, there's no stack of resumes in front of me. There were no months of waiting. When I needed someone, I just contacted Belay. They had someone literally, well, sooner than I could actually start a search. So a qualified person, ready to go, match to your team and to you as a leader if you're interested check out belay their modern staffing solutions have been helping busy leaders like me delegate tasks like sermon preparation volunteer coordination and supporting new members basically they are a go-to solution for Busy Leader. As an exclusive for our listeners, Belay has a VIP offer. To claim it, text Carrie my name, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. Get the support you need to get out of the detail weeds and get back to growing your church or business with Belay. Once again, that's Carrie to 55123. And now, with all that said, let's dive into a fascinating conversation with Scent Marshall. Scent, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's so good to be here. It's good to see you.
0: It's great to see you too. So we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about your role at the Mavericks, AT&T, the whole deal. But uh, I want to start at the beginning. You have a really dramatic story. And uh, I'd love to start with your childhood. It was not an easy upbringing from everything that I've read. And um, your path to leadership wasn't paved. (laughs) It It was a dirt road. It was a gravel path. That's true. Uh, Do you want to talk about your childhood scent?
1: That's true. Uh, And it it wasn't easy, uh, probably easier for me than for my mother. Uh, My parents left Birmingham, Alabama when I was a baby. So three months old. Uh, They didn't want their kids to grow up in the Jim Crow segregated South. So they followed uh, an aunt and uncle to the San Francisco Bay Area. So I grew up in Richmond, California in the Easter Hill public housing uh, projects. And, uh, some of the things that you normally hear about, you know, some of the bad things that you normally hear about in a housing project. Uh, we experienced that. Um, we experienced, uh, my mom did domestic violence that, you know, carried over to us. And, uh, when I was 11 years old, I actually saw my father shoot a man in the head and actually in self defense, in defense of me, because all this commotion came, you know, was happening at our door and a 17 year old, a young man who we knew in the neighborhood, we went to church with him, uh, came over to have some kind of confrontation with my dad. And my mom had all six of her kids in the back room. And I was this kind of nosy kid. I was quiet, believe it or not. Uh, I just kind of sit with my math book and my Bible. I, I always joke about my mom putting two books in my hand at an early age, a math book in one hand and a Bible in the other. And so, you know, I just kept my head in my book. So I was, you know, kind of quiet. But I was inquisitive, and I heard all this commotion at the front door, and I went to the front door to see what was going on, and that was when my father realized that I was no longer in the back room with my five brothers and sisters where my mom had you know, taken us all to when this broke out, but I was in the potential pathway of a bullet, and the young man pointed his silver pistol, I can still see it, down to my father's right side where I was standing and so my father shot back uh in defense of me actually um and fortunately it wasn't fatal uh but you can imagine all the chaos that broke out in our family uh, my father didn't have to do jail time or anything like that i mean he went like overnight but came back uh but it was uh it was chaotic for us i mean literally chaos broke out in our neighborhood oh And I'll never forget, um, we all had to be sequestered in the house for safety purposes. Um, And I wanted to go to school. I didn't want to be in the house. And so I was in the seventh grade and my mom figured out a way for me to go to school because I was just so upset that I had to stay home. And I figured out later in years that school for me was probably a refuge and a chance to just escape some of the bad things, and I mean, there were good things that going uh, that 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 happened too. I mean, my mom uh, was is just a wonderful woman, and just had us focus on activities and school, and uh, even with stuff going on in our neighborhood, we had good things going on in our house when, when you know my father wasn't doing you know his mm-hmm. stuff. And so, uh, but I love school. I love school, and that was put into me very early to love school and to have it as a place where you could have good things happen. And so I wanted to go to school. And Carrie, do you know my mother figured out a way for me to get to school? She had a uniformed police officer, Officer Daryl Prater. He took me to school the rest of that school year. He picked me up in his police car uh, and take me in his police car, or he would um, uh, ride the bus with me. And I wasn't ashamed by it. I was 11 years old. Um, And he did what his car said, protecting the serve. He got me to school every day. And so um, these teachers just opened up the world to me. For, uh, for, for, um, four years later, my parents divorced, and it was a very ugly, violent divorce, and we had to flee our house kind of for safety purposes. And my mother's prayer, my mother is a praying woman, and her prayer was that uh, she and her, it was three of us at home at that time, that we'd make it back home before school started. Because once again, education was everything. We came back home. My father had taken everything except uh, uh, a mattress for me and my younger sister to sleep on. So we had this four bedroom deluxe unit in the projects, and he had taken everything. Uh, eventually, he, you know, some of the stuff, you know, showed up. He brought it back, but we didn't have clothes to go to school. I was going. To, I was a junior in high school, and it was also the summer my father broke my nose because I got in the middle of a fight that he and my mom were having that summer when they divorced. And her prayer was that we'd make it back home, and we did. All the stuff is missing. And I'll never forget my mother because, you know, we were all upset. You know, where are our trophies? Because I ran track. Where are the trophies? Where's the stuff? How are we going to go to school? We don't have clothes. And my mother says, everybody be quiet. And it was just quiet. She said, all I want is peace of mind. God will provide. And he did. And she told us to focus. I went back to school as a junior in high school, head cheerleader, big silver brace on my nose. And my mother just said, the Lord will take care of it. And he did. He did. Uh, Three teachers and a principal embraced me. They knew my mom. They knew she had a desire for her kids to all go to college. And they just got me involved in all kind of activities. My mom had me and stuff. And I ended up graduating at the top of my school district and got five full scholarships to the college of my choice and chose the University of California at Berkeley. Not because it's the number one public institution in the world, okay, but because it was close to home. (laughs) It was close to home. And stuff was still going on with my dad. So I still wanted to be there. Uh, but the Lord just showed up like my mom said he would. And I worked hard and, um, I got blessed to get a great education and then start my career, uh, four years later, you know, after I started college, uh, with AT&T. So it, yeah, it wasn't, um, I, I actually described my childhood as being pretty good, but we had, you know, we had stuff that happened and everybody has stuff that happens. Everybody.
0: Everybody has stuff that happens, but, you know, being uh, watching someone be shot and being you know victim of domestic violence, that's not easy. But it's interesting, Scent, you had a little bit of a character test that was unplanned. This is my first time meeting you, but there was a problem with the first computer you were hooked up to. And one of the things, you know, it was about 10, 15 minutes before we got rolling, which is fine. But one of the things I really noticed about you is everybody handles stress differently. You had such a calm disposition. You were kind of laughing and joking about it. You didn't get frazzled. You're like, all right, I'm going to just go. And your assistant is in another office, so she can't be with you. You're like, I'm going to go get my personal computer. We'll boot that up. You're like trying to figure out how to get the mic to be recognized and the whole deal. And you're just smiling the whole time. I'm like, boy, there's a lot of people. Like Something happened along the way that transformed that pain into something else. Because there are people with way less... Like, I, I don't know that I would pass that test, to be honest with you. You know, I, did, I didn't get hit as a you kid. Had a,
1: but you had a lot to do with how I responded, though. Because you were... Oh, what was you, that? Did, you were so calm. You were like, okay, when I said I need to go, maybe I'll need to go get my personal computer. You didn't say, you know, well, we're short on time because, you know, we're, we're already running late and we'll just try to see if we can make this work. You said, okay. We got time. Because that's probably at the point where I would have gotten a little bit stressed. Okay. If you would if you okay. would if you would have given me some kind of energy like, woman, you need to hurry up, okay? But you did not. <laughs> but but you did not. And, and so I felt mm. comfortable just doing what I needed to do, but I also knew I had a backup plan. <laughs> I knew I had backup. <laughs> I knew I knew I had backup. Uh but I try I try to I, I try not to get too stressed out stuff. I've seen stress in my life. I've seen stuff that's a matter of life or death. And I mean, I apologize for keeping you waiting and you just did not, you just didn't make a big deal out of it. You were so accommodating. So that just made me okay with it.
0: I'm honored to be with you today. And you know what? Isn't that the gift of margin? You know, we book an hour, 90 minutes for these interviews. But then I book another half hour on the end where I'm doing nothing. So it's like, if the worst happens and I've got backups for my backup. So it's like, you know, that if I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, that's a different story too. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, apparently, and we have mutual friends. So some of them weighed in on, on these questions, uh, basketball friends and, and church friends. And uh, a friend told me to ask you about meeting your husband. He said, it's a great story. I don't know anything about that, so go ahead. And oh tell Lord, me. you're laughing. Okay, okay, so I
1: met my husband when I was um, a junior in high school, and we were at, uh, at uh, schools three you know three hours apart, right? So I had my local friend at school, but then I met this guy in this club, uh, DECA, Distributive Education Clubs of America, and so but it's three hours away, so didn't see him a whole lot. Yeah. And then when I started college, my first week in college, and he was a year ahead of me, he called to tell me that he had transferred schools. So he had left Fresno City College and transferred to San Francisco State University and said, so he just called one day, my first week in college, and said, surprise, I'm across the bridge. I'm at San Francisco State now. I have moved to the Bay Area so I could be right across the bridge so I could be close to you. This is my first week in college. And I said, well, hold up, <laughs> boyfriend. I mean, surprise. Uh, I will call you the day I graduate. And I meant it. I said, <laughs> and he was he was stunned. Okay, he was stunned, and 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 I never forget what I told him. I said, I don't have time for some smooth talking cutie who wants to put, who wants to play when I need to study. That I am about this getting this good, uh, uh, you know, this get, getting this good education. And my husband says I pretty much told him that it was about uh, school and Jesus. He said that's pretty much in a nutshell what I told him. Um, I said I gotta be focused. This is like a big deal. I'm gonna be the first one in my family. I gotta graduate from a big college and I am serious and I gotta focus. And I told him I called him when I graduated. And so the and so I only saw him like once after that. He'd go by and see my mom, but I was focused. I mean, I had fun in college. I did my thing, but I was not hanging around with him. And then the day I graduated from college, I called him. And I said, Hey, Kenny, this is <laughs> I said, Hey, Kenny, this is sent. And he said, Scent who? I said, boy, don't act like you don't know who I am. He really tried to act like he didn't know who I was. He said, I haven't talked to you in almost four years. I said, I know. And I was all excited. I said, I just graduated today. And I graduated at two o'clock. I called him at three o'clock. So, I mean, it's one hour, okay? I said, you know what? I'm getting ready to uh, start working for the phone company. And so I started telling him about this job I had. I was going to start in three weeks. I said, my mom's having me a party at six o'clock. Uh, she's still in the project. She's working hard. I'm going to work hard I'm going to help her get out so you know where she is. And so I was just fired up about life. I said, I'm still going to church. I mean, I was just going crazy. And he says, I'm engaged. He said, I can't. I, I, he, he said he can not come to the party. I said, no, the party's at six o'clock. Like, and you come by yourself. He goes, no, I'm engaged. Well, like, that's the wrong answer. I said, I told you I was going to call you. I just graduated an hour ago. Bottom line, he came to the party at six o'clock and the rest is history. I have been, we've been married, we've been married 39 years. It'll be 40 years next, uh, next April 30th. And so I asked him one time and I only asked him this because somebody asked me whatever happened to the woman. He said, when, when he hung up the phone, she says, that's your girlfriend from high school. And just the way he was looking and talking, she says, you need to go to that graduation party. So he knew, he knew he had always told my mom that I was going to be his wife. Because he just said, he, his mom was a church lady and all that. And he said, that's just going to be my wife. I can just tell. So.
0: I wasn't expecting that. That is a great story. Well, I tell that story
1: um, uh, to kids at commencements. It's like, you know what? Put them on hold. And when we moved our kids into college and then my nieces and nephews, my husband is the one who always says, uh, is there a phone call you need to make now that you at college? Is there somebody you need to tell them? You'll call them when you graduate. And so we all laugh about it. But I did put him on hold.
0: That is fantastic. So let's go to AT&T. Um, you're hired by the phone company. Where do you start? Because you, you, had, you had quite the career. I mean, now CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. We'll figure that part out a little bit later in the conversation. But it was... Uh, you know, one of one of the accounts I read is that a lot of the promotion happened a little bit later. It wasn't like in your 20s it was straight to the top. So can you can you describe your professional journey so far since? Yes,
1: I had 15 different jobs at AT&T so 13,088 days cuz I'm a big number so I'm a math geek, percent. right? And so I started out 21 years old supervising operators. I remember telling the recruiter I said, you know, I just want a job where I can lead people. I want to be a supervisor. I want to be the boss. And I need to make some money because I'm on this mission here to help my family get out of poverty. And I remember I had 13 job offers and I said, I'm going to take the one that offers me the most money and the opportunity to be the boss, which sounded crazy, right? But that's what I did. (laughs) And so it turned out to be AT&T and it was a great choice. And so I started out supervising and it was back in the day. So I don't know if you remember this, you may not be old enough, uh, when we had long distance operators And so we had
0: four. Oh, yeah. I remember long distance operators making that phone call home. Are you kidding So you have the
1: four-on-one. Yeah. Collect. Collect.
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. I got no money, mom and dad. You're paying for this. That's
1: it. So those are the operators that I supervised. Uh Okay. So uh, it was great, too, because I'm 21 years old. Most of them, I had the night shift. So most of them were these short evening operators. So they worked six hours, but they got paid eight and they were, for the most part, in their 50s and 60s, and they're wonderful. And so I just started out basically saying, I don't know anything about this business, uh, but I am here to serve you, and I'm here to make your life better, and I need to learn this job, and you just need to let me know what you need, how you need my help. And we had a wonderful job.
0: I got along well. How did you know how to do that? That is not a normal starting point. Because
1: at 21 years old, in all due respect to our 21 year olds, what do you really know when you go to work? What when you go to work in a company? Okay. Now I knew how to lead. I had been involved in all kind of activities. I knew how to get stuff done and all that. But what do you really know about that new company? Well, I I knew what I didn't know, but I also knew what I knew, and I knew how to serve people. I knew how to love up on people. I mean, you love people the way Christ loved the church. Okay, so I I just knew how to, I just knew how to do that. Okay, and so I shared that with them, and I shared what I was about, and all that, and they loved me, and I loved them, and we got so much stuff done. Those ladies, mostly ladies, couple of men, they would tell me things they would want me to get done and new practices they would want to put in place, and then I talked to my bosses, and they'd say, "No, we can't do that." Uh, because that's going to mess up everything. That's going to ruin the results. And then they'd work on me some more and I'd go and convince my bosses, just let me try it. And then we try stuff and end up having the best results uh in the area and all that. So they just, they see listening. I learned a long time ago how to listen to employees. And in fact, I I practice something called three L's of leadership. My job, if I'm going to be an effective leader, I just need to really perfect three things. I need to listen to the people, learn from the people, and love the people. If I can do those three things very well, I'll be okay. And so I really listened to them. And I learned a lot from them. We took a lot of uh, bold steps. And You know, I was 21 years old, nothing to lose. So we take bold steps. And those things just always worked out for me. And then I ended up getting offered my boss's job. my bo- And so I didn't want to take that. And I said, I, I need. I want to learn more about the business, learn more. And these operators were telling me, this is a big business. Don't stay here. Go and learn about the business because one day you could be way up there and you need to know this business. And I said, okay. So then I went to the network engineering department and learned all about that. So um, I turned down four promotions overall in my total career. And it was because there was either just something I wanted to know or just the Lord was moving me in another direction. And it wasn't really scripted, huh. even though I came in on a fast track management program, but it's it was almost textbook. I ended up learning about our business. I learned about people when it was time, really time for the promotion. I'd always have a mentor. Somebody says, okay, you have to take this next step. Even if you don't know this, you don't know this area, you got to take it. And so I ended up working all over our business, line staff, technical, non-technical, Uh, public policy, human resources, operations. I just ended up in all the right places. And every time I got a job in all these 15 different jobs, literally from the time I started with the company, I asked two questions. And I I think about it often because for 36 years, I'd asked that question. Hmm. Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? Because my mom always taught me that. You show up to a job, there's something that you are supposed to do. There's something that you are uniquely qualified to bring. And everybody has a role to play and you have to play that role. So so I was taught that. So I asked the Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? What do I really need to get done here? And then who is it that you will have me touch? Because I'm there for a reason. And he would reveal it every time and I'd do what I needed to do and carry out the mission and then go and do something else. And it, it just all worked out. It covered three different states, California, North Carolina, and, and, and Texas. It worked out.
0: So I want to time hop a little bit then on that note and go to five years ago. You're wrapping up at AT AT&T. According to what I've read, you're thinking about stepping back. You're like, you know what? I'll, I'll do something else with my life. I'm kind of done the corporate scene. And you get a phone call. Is that right? How did, how did that work? That, like, that, that like, is correct.
1: So I retired mm-hmm. in May of 2017 after 36 years, had been in Dallas in, in Dallas four years helping uh, our chairman and others, our officer team, kind of transform the culture of the company. We had had like 10 mergers or something. And uh, our, our CEO, our chairman, Randall Stevenson, really was focused on the culture and creating a great place to work. So I was tapped to be able to come and help with that effort when I left North Carolina. And so after we did all that, retired in uh, May of 2017. And I basically said I was going to take a year off. To your point, I said, okay, Laura, what direction are you sending me in? It's not going to be corporate. And college people were calling me about being a college president, running nonprofits. I I was just all about serving. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do next? So I started a consulting company because the chairman of Dow Chemical decided he wanted me to help them transform their culture. So similar work that I had just done at AT AT&T. So I ended up taking just like that summer summer off to get my one daughter out of high school and one out of college. And then I said, okay, here, that's what I'm going to do. I'll do the consulting thing. And about, mm, so I did that in August. And then the following February 21st, is so I hadn't even been retired a whole year, is when I get this call and I'm literally... I remember this day like it was yesterday. You can appreciate this because it was February 21st, 2018. It was when I woke up that morning, these teenagers were protesting in Parkland, Florida uh, about gun violence because what had happened at their school. It was also the day the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham had passed away. And I remember remember that that morning. I'm sure you remember that morning. And I was thinking about how both of these Things were really impacting me because I mean, I'm looking at these teenagers and then I'm looking at the impact of this 99 year old and what the impact he had on my life. I mean, one of my fondest memories in North Carolina is when I was able to bring my mom out when they opened up the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte. And so, because he was such an integral part of my family story when my mother was going through a lot, but she always found refuge, of course, in her faith and in the scriptures. And if if Reverend Dr. Billy Graham came to Oakland or the San Francisco area, she had to figure out a way for us to get there. So when I heard that news that morning, I was just impacted by it. And I ended up writing a blog called Impact and posted it about the, what was the impact. Here I found myself age-wise smack dab in the middle. Teenagers, 99 year old, I'm smack dab in the middle. So, <laughs> so like, what's the impact? I mean, I know what impact that I had at at t but what's next? And so I posted my blog. It was one of the rare weeks I was working at home and I was talking to my clients. So I was on the phone with my folk with the folks at Dow. And all of a sudden, so I was on the house phone and my cell phone started going off, just um, text messages. Carrie, I actually thought it was, I have four kids. So I actually thought it was one of my kids asking for money. I never looked at the text messages. I gave my husband the phone and I said, one of the kids need money, take care of it. And he brought me the phone back a few minutes later. And he said, this guy doesn't need your money. He said, (laughs) (laughs) and I said, what? And he said, Mark Cuban is trying to reach you. Please do not judge me. I didn't know Mark Cuban. I never heard of Mark Cuban. And so, and people laugh and say, you never heard of Mark Cuban? I said, well, he never heard of me, okay? So, so, <laughs> so, so somebody mentioned my name to him. A few somebodies, I guess, mentioned my name to him and his staff that day uh, when his, his crisis, the crisis was happening at the Mavs. And so he reached out to me. And so I finally called him back. i tell my client to hang up and my husband had called my son to convince me to call him back. So I finally called him back and he asked yeah. me if I could come and meet with him. He was so sincere, so genuine, told me I got my name from a few people and wanted to know if I could come and meet with him in his office at two o'clock. I told him I could not come and meet with him. I had a mammogram scheduled. I told him I'm a cancer survivor. I'm I'm actually a colon cancer survivor. I said, but I know firsthand what happens when you put off your medical appointments. I learned that the hard way. And so I have to keep this appointment, but I'll come and see you later that day. So went to see him, read about the article on the way, got there, it was storming. And I just thought, based on what I read, I'm not going to do this.
0: Was that the Sports Illustrated yes, piece? it was or, the Sports uh, Illustrated.
1: Yeah. And I thought, yeah. I said, if this is all true, I just don't think I'm up for this. I don't think this is the place for me. And so I said, but you know what? I'm here, let me go. And my husband was all decked out in all his maps, colors, and all that. So he was. and my husband is not a fashion guy, but he was into it. Like put the right colors on. Don't go in there with that Cal Berkeley blue. Take that Golden State Warrior stuff off. Like this is the Dallas Mavericks. So I was ready. I went in there, color-coded and everything. And this woman, the receptionist, Nancy, gave me a big hug when I walked in, or maybe I gave her the big hug. And then I gave Mark a big hug. And my husband was trying to come in with me. I told him to sit down. So I went back and sat with him and it was a 55-minute conversation and it was beautiful. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was so genuine, so transparent. um, And he just basically asked me if I could help him and if I would be his CEO, chairman of the board, pick the title, that he needed help and he wanted to transform the culture and things were kind of coming out and stories were unfolding. And he was basically crushed and said, I need your help. And so we went through a lot and I ended up telling him, I said, okay, I need to go home and pray about this. Uh, and he says, tell me what that looks like. And I said, well, so, <laughs> I, so I described my little prayer closet. Okay, so I described my prayer closet and I said, um, I really have to go in and treat the Lord on this because I mean, it's not something that was in my plan. I don't really know what's going on here. And it started coming to me that I was, uniquely qualified to do this. And then he says, Mm -hmm. yes, I think you could really have an impact on us. And so I thought about that on the way home. And then I thought impact. I had just written a blog post, a blog that morning and posted it about impact. And it was just like, boom. I said, oh my goodness. Came home, prayed about it. Went back in there the next day. And before I could even go and tell Mark I was there and to talk to him about it, some people grabbed me and took me in the conference room, and I was in the building for three hours before Mark even knew I was there, because I guess I was just meant to be there. And so it's been four and a half years, and we have, uh, and, and I say we, because Scent, Scent is not the person who made the Dallas Mavericks better from a culture standpoint. They're a whole group of us, a whole team of people in that, in that building, uh, in that organization, uh, even our external advisory council folks helping us uh, become a, a great place to work. So we're on a journey. Hmm. And uh, I'd say we've gone from not a good place to work to a very good place to work. And we're on the journey to be a great place to work. So it was divine for sure.
0: It was divine. Well, you know, one of my uh, <laughs> my question feeders uh, knew exactly what was going at the, at the uh, Dallas Mavericks, you know, being in pro sports. And for those who may not know, I read the Sports Illustrated article. Um, Just give us an an indication of what you were walking into in 2018.
1: I was walking into a place that was um, uh, not friendly to women, Uh, to to put it mildly, not friendly to women. Uh, There was a uh, 19 or so uh, year history of sexual harassment, misconduct, inappropriate behavior, uh, just bad stuff, unethical stuff, uh, going on in the organization on the business side, not on the basketball side, but on the business side, um, at the hands of top leadership. And, uh, things were being covered up. Uh, it was, it was horrible. Uh, Sports Illustrated had their own description for it, but I will tell you, I walked into a place that was not friendly to women and frankly didn't really value the presence of people of color. Uh, at the lower lower level. So it was not a diverse organization. Uh, When I walked into my first meeting, uh, there were 10 white men at the table uh, and then they brought in two women who were not in permanent leadership positions. And I don't know if that was trying to fake me out. I don't know what that was all about. Uh, But I discovered very quickly that they had no women or people of color at the table uh, in permanent leadership positions. So um, it was a very strange place, a very different place than what I had grown accustomed to. And um, the Lord blessed me to put a hundred day plan in place. And I didn't think that we were going to have to necessarily uh, act on all these initiatives that I had laid out because I figured, you know, performance, a good performance management system, uh, market-based compensation, all that kind of stuff existed as well. And so maybe the problems were just, I, I mean, isolated to sexual harassment, which is horrible in and of itself. Uh, but the problems were even bigger than that. It was not functioning, in my opinion, like a business. And Mark had his focus on the basketball side and things just weren't happening on the business side, uh, in my opinion, to really serve the people, uh, wonderful people who chose a career in sports. They were not getting served the way I felt they needed to get served. And so that's what I've been about for the past four and a half years. Uh, we laid out a vision that said we would set the global standard in the NBA for diversity and inclusion. And I chose that because there's some bottom line impacts to that. If you do it right, you'll win the war for talent. You'll serve your customers. Uh, you'll be able to reach out to the community. So if you get all that right, uh, your business will be profitable. And then I said, we uh, will operate from a set of values. We will have values-based employment and the values spell crafts. Character, and they're all based on scripture. Character, respect, authenticity, fairness, teamwork, and safety, both physical and emotional safety. Our workplace promise is every voice matters and everybody belongs. And so those were the things we laid out. I had one-on-ones with every single employee in the organization to just learn about them as people, learn about the vision they have for their lives personally and professionally, because my job as a leader is to serve them and make sure they can kind of realize those visions. And then, um, we just said, okay, what's the plan? And we got everybody rallied around it, got, you know, brought in some people, had to pretty much let that leadership team go. I think there's one person at my table now who was a part of that original team. And, uh, we have, we have 50% women at the table, 50% people of color. We have employee resource groups. I mean, you just name it. Uh, I met with our MAVs inclusion council er- earlier today because. We're, all, we're still on a journey to be a great place to work. I mean, we still like, have some work to do huh. in some areas, but it is a different place than I walked into, uh, and that's by the standards of the employees. And we all did it together. Sent, sent, cannot get the credit. We all did it together.
0: So there was a little bit of a, a big turnover at the top, and I can understand why. What was the reaction of the employees' Who stayed
1: uh there was our okay, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh so so one employee came to me one day to let me know that he was really concerned that his group was not really responding. And he felt like this wave, this positive wave was going on, and we were all rallied around these two hundred initiatives and in this hundred day plan, but his group wasn't really a part of that because his boss had told them not to respond to anything we were doing because I was going to be gone in 90 days because it was a big PR stunt and I didn't know basketball. I didn't know the business of basketball and that part was true. Um, so just don't worry about it and just wait it out, which is just really unfortunate. And so obviously that, that I mean, I, I was here more than 90 days. Uh, he's not here, but I, I'm still here. And so so I had to address that, okay? Because the employee, and my, the reason I say that, the employee wanted to be a part of what was going on. They saw the value in what we were all doing uh, together. And so uh, I remember I it was one, one termination that we had to make that was, uh, you know, that's the hardest part of my job as a leader. Um, that's the only thing that, I mean, really, really would make me cry uh, as a leader. And it's been my, my whole career, is having to let somebody go. And I always say, I've never fired anybody. Mm. People fire themselves. They fire themselves by their own actions and behaviors and all that. But as a leader, you know, sometimes you have to be the one to to bring that to their attention and then to walk them to the door. And so uh, I remember just being uh, just really upset about it one day. And one employee came in my office and he was sobbing. I mean, sobbing, a very senior employee. And his response was, he said, thanks for cutting off the head of the snake. I'll never forget it, Carrie. And I said, what? And he was sobbing. And then he told me story after story after story of, frankly, what was pretty much mental and emotional abuse of what they had gone through. And he said, we can live now. We can come to work now and be okay. And he was sobbing. I had no idea that that was going to be the impact of that particular termination. I mean, I just did what we needed to do because of some things that had been uncovered in the investigation, but I didn't know it went that deep. And so the employees all rallied around. I mean, there were some, and you know, there's, there's some people who resist change. Um, and we, we sure. still have, you know, a few employees in the organization right now that, you know, want their old bosses back, uh, because they were close to their old bosses. And I know what those pockets are. I know where they are. And then we, we love those people too, but. Mark Cuban needed to make a change. He made that change. And we needed to make some more changes. And we did. And we did. And very, very few people, very few, resisted it. They wanted it. They wanted it.
0: Well, with the uh, few remaining minutes we have, I just have a a couple of other questions for you, sent. One is... um, you weren't really a basketball fan, were you? Or maybe a fan, but like this is not like, oh, great, I've been poised for this moment and now I finally get to be the CEO of a a, a basketball team like no, no. No,
1: I was a fan, so I had another team, right? You were in a fact, fan. I was in I was wearing the the I was actually wearing the sweats of that team when Mark called me. And so so I had another team, my hometown team growing up, right? Uh, and so I hadn't even been to a Dallas Mavericks game. I mean, my kids would come into town and every now and then uh, my chairman would give us some tickets. So I tell them they could go if they were on spring break or something. Uh, but I was just diehard my other team. And <laughs> but I love but I love sports. and I loved basketball and I love football. I mean, I'm a big sports person. And so which is like I was just so surprised that I had never heard of Mark because I am a big sports person, but I was not a Mavs person. And so when uh-huh. I got there, I, I I knew how to lead people. But I did not know the business of basketball. And that's one thing Mark told me in our very first meeting, that he would teach me the, uh, the business of basketball and others would teach me the business of basketball. And something that was so heartwarming is that when my appointment to the position was announced, I had colleagues, you know, there are 30 of us, right? I had colleagues from around the country literally sending me emails and I didn't even know my email was set up yet. I mean, they were reaching out as such um, it's such a good group of people. They wanted me to be successful. And they and they started off from day one teaching me the business of basketball. And I mean, they had some, like my buddy Pete Pete Fagan. He came in, they came in to see me. They would come into town to see me and sit down with, with their teams, my team. They wanted me to know the business of basketball. They were all in, wanted me to be successful, and my my team members were the same way. And so So now I have learned a little bit about the business of basketball. Four and a half years in, I know a little bit about the business of basketball, and and my boss continues to help every day. Uh, So between all of my colleagues and all the people in our organization and others trying to help me, I've learned the business of basketball.
0: But that goes back to 21 years old. You show up at AT AT&T in charge of the overnight operators (laughs) when there was such a thing, and you're like, if I got this right. Listen, learn, love. The three L's of leadership. Took you all the way to the top of a massive organization. Real quick, last question. Then I want to tell us about your book and where people can find you. But what are you learning from Mark? And what is he learning from you?
1: Okay, so I am learning from Mark how to just be open to ideas how to be innovative, not to be married to anything that already exists, that there's always a different way to do things. Uh, sometimes you have to just change with the time. Times the audiences change, the things happen in the world that we have to pay attention to, and we've got to be agile and we've got to be able to pivot on a dime. And we learned that uh, during COVID and be open to new things. And if they don't work out, just go ahead and admit that fail. I mean, we don't even call it failure. It's like, okay, that didn't work. It's something else we're supposed to be doing. And, and his attitude about that when things don't go well has been mind blowing to me. He's like, okay, so we're going to start something or sometimes he'll say, let's try this. And then he goes, okay, well, that didn't work. So we're going to try something else. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, just that fast. And it's just a great lesson in life because things do happen. And so I I have a model that I'm saying that I always say sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is a train. There's sometimes bad things do happen to good people. Sometimes bad things happen in the workplace. Sometimes things just don't work out, but you got to keep it moving. I mean, you got to keep it moving, and he is the keep it moving guy. And he's smart as all get out, and he's brilliant. And sometimes I just, I just want to get in that brain and just, just, just pick it, uh, which is, which is awesome. And he's available. And for somebody as busy as he is, he responds within seconds to emails or a text message. I could text my boss right now. And he'd call me and say, you okay? What's going on? As busy as he is. That's crazy to me. So I'm always kind of blown away by that, blown away by that. And then I think what he's learning from me, here's what he, I've heard him say publicly, that he is learning the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that people bring different things and it's not a cookie cutter approach. And he's really learned about equity and the difference between equity and equality and sameness does not equal fairness. Fairness. And how to meet people where they are. He's learned the difference between diversity and inclusion. It's just not having somebody at the table, but you have to teach them the culture and bring them in and it's a way to include people. Uh and he's learning that um, again, it's not just about uh equality. And so I'm glad he's learned those and he, he says he's learned those kind of things for me. So I believe I believe what he says.
0: Well, your book is out uh, by the time this airs. Tell us about it and congratulations.
1: Thank you. It is my first book. Okay, it's my first book and it's called You've Been Chosen, uh, Thriving Through the Unexpected. And it started out as the story of my cancer uh, journey because I did a CaringBridge blog post. So every round of chemo that I had, I would post, uh, I'd do a, a posting and talk about what was going on with me, the good, the bad, the great and the ugly. And it was primarily because so many people were calling. And so it was a way to keep them informed. Well, over the past 10 years, I've gotten hundreds of calls asking for that journal because people either are going through their own cancer journey and they want to read that story. And then they'll read something in round three and says, oh, That's happening to me. Okay. That's okay. And, and, or people who are coming alongside them. So it turned out to be, it it was supposed to be just to, uh, get that in the hands of people because somebody says, sent, you need to turn this into a book. Well, actually what it's turned into now is, uh, because of the publishers and interviewing me, they said, you know, you were equipped. It's kind of like the observation you made about how I handle stress. They said something happened a long time ago for you to have Mm -hmm. cancer, for you to have handled cancer the way you did. And we want to understand that. And throughout your cancer journal, you talk about being chosen for this and the Lord has chosen you for that. You've been chosen for a whole lot of things. Even You were chosen even before the cancer battle. We want to tell that story. And so it talks about the different ways that the Lord and good people always showed up in my life. And the Lord chose me to go through different things and he chooses all of us to go through different types of adversity, but he chooses us based on the fact that he has equipped us to handle these things. And then he chooses up to show up for other people when they are going through things. And so there is a way to thrive through the unexpected. Things just happen and they just come up. But every time something happens like that, we've been divinely chosen to go through it. And we've also been chosen to help other people go through it. So that's what the book is about. And my prayer is that it would just bless somebody if it just touches one person and gives them hope and increases their faith that they've been chosen for the battle and that the Lord will show up and he, would ha- he will have great people show up in their lives to help them get through it. Then it was worth writing it.
0: Well sent, sent the sprint. If you read the book, you'll know about that. Um, I just, I was forewarned that this was going to be an epic interview and they undersold it this has been an absolute delight just thank you for the joy thanks for the openness thanks for the humility thanks for the delight and i am going to continue to track with you and perhaps at some point we'll get around to i uh I have more questions unasked than asked. And so this is fantastic. I would love that. Sent, thank you. I would you. love that. That would be great. When you read
1: the book, you'll want to talk to me about my my four adopted kids and and the death mm. of my daughter and just all kind of stuff. You, you'll want to talk about it all. All
0: the stuff we didn't get to today. We'll get to you it. You We'll get to but it. But we will. Sent. I want to thank you so much. And uh, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Well, we have show notes and a lot more from that fascinating and engaging conversation with Scent Marshall over at com slash episode 522. We include transcripts with that. So uh, if you're interested in that, I use transcripts all the time on some of my favorite podcasts. You might want to check that out. And we want to thank our partners. Thank you so much, Belay. For years, Belay has helped me accomplish more, juggle less, and get back to growing my organization with a virtual assistant. Just text Carrie C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123 and get back to growing your organization with Belay. And Christmas is coming. You can work with Compassion, get your whole church involved, uh, set up a Christmas tree, and supply a child in need by going to Compassion.com slash GivingTree slash carry. That's Compassion.com slash GivingTree slash Slash carry. Well, it must be sports month around here because next up we got Tim Tebow. Tim is a best selling author, former NFL quarterback, and he talks about well, we get pretty vulnerable. Talk about being cut from the NFL, losing your identity, overcoming bitterness. And then we get into his workout routine and the joys of working in his foundation. It's really interesting. I think we figure out what makes Tim tick. Here is an excerpt. And that night, I believe I was up for six awards, something like that. And And they announced the first award, and I lose. They announced the second award, and I lose. I was like, all right, this thing's a little bit. The third award, and I lose. And now I'm starting to get irritated. (laughs) And, And the fourth award and the fifth award, and I lose. You see what had happened, Carrie? is I was so bitter and irritated and upset for however long before it, it was all about me. It was all about my disappointments. It was all about what I didn't accomplish. It was all about, you know, the legacy and all of the things that we lost, right? And I lost perspective on ultimately what mattered. My identity wasn't gone in that loss because for the first time, Carrie, and I don't know how long, I wasn't thinking about myself anymore. The focus wasn't on me. It's coming up next time. Also, Christy and Joey Spears, Chad Veach, Sharon Hoddy, miller Brian Koppelman, John and McCray Acuff, Nancy Duarte, Lisa Turkers, Pat Lencioni, Erwin McManus, James Clear, and a whole lot more. If you subscribe, you will never miss a thing. I only listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. So wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Overcast, which is where I listen to my podcast, just hit subscribe. And away you go. And welcome to the growing number of subscribers we see on this show every month, a ton of whom are young leaders. So if you like this episode, also leave us a rating and review. And I want to give you something that can help. The Thrive Calendar has helped 25,000 leaders. That's right. We've helped over 25,000 leaders download this free resource. And what's it doing? It's helping you and them get their time, energy, and priorities working for you, not against you. It's a ready-to-implement calendar system works with iCal, Google Cal, Outlook, and a whole lot more. And that helps you identify your priorities each day and protect your time for what matters most. I swear by it. I lived by it for over a decade. And now 25,000 leaders have downloaded it to maximize your productivity and impact each day. Here's what you do. Just go to freethrivecalendar.com. Again, that's freethrivecalendar.com to get instant access to your calendar template. And I got a training video to show you exactly how to use it and get the most out of it. That's because we love you. That's because we want to be in your corner. Thank you so much for listening. We're back with a fresh episode soon. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership.